Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, Vol Nation. Welcome to another episode of Believe in Tennessee Football. I'm your host, as always, Kyler Curbison. Join us, Reed Bacon. We've got another great one today. I am going deep into what it was like in the Dooley era. Uh, what kind of coach was he? Why did it fall apart? And some funny stories about the way he talked to us. It, it kind of matched up the same as he talked to the media. So you can only guess um, what what he said to us. But uh, yeah, real fun one. Uh, we also recap Tennessee versus Texas basketball and some new recruits. So great pod. Let's jump into it. The game. Snap, the kick is in the air, and the kick this time is no sir Reed. No sir Reed. Tennessee 20, Florida 17. Pandemonium reigns. Loads up, fires long for the end zone. The pass is going to be caught on Tennessee. Tennessee wins! It's by Tennessee to one Jennings. Jennings makes the catch in the end zone on the Hail Mary. The 35 to the 40 to the 45 to the 50 to the 45 to the 40 to the 35 30 25 20 15 10 5 what did he do all he did was score joey Pitt, touchdown on play number one okay so before we jump into the podcast shout out our number one sponsor betonline.ag it is the place to go for any bets uh, football's wrapping up. You got basketball in full swing. Baseball is going to come up here in the future. Hockey, boxing, golf, everything. You can bet on any sport out there. Uh, BetOnline.ag. So go over there for all your news, all your lines, all your stats, everything that you could think of. It's all inclusive, all over at BetOnline.ag. You have to check it out. It's the place to go. It's the place I bet. It's a place everybody wants to bet. Uh, it really is the best sports book out there. Um, so please head on over. Uh, you know, have some fun with these games. It's always a little more fun when you put a little money on the line. So um, please head on over to betonline.ag. They're our number one sponsor, and uh, you won't regret it. Okay, welcome in, everybody. Uh, another exciting podcast. We are early early in the morning before work so we can get this in for you guys um let's start it off before we get into any uh, ut news reed how we doing bud hey what's up brother i'm doing well doing well um yeah excited to, to talk with you um, we got a wide variety of stuff so we're going to talk a little bit about the texas basketball game uh we're going to talk about one of the newest recruits um that just came through and then Based on uh, your experience and some of the comments that we've had, we're going to do a little uh, we're going to do a little Derek Dooley talk and a little uh, little Big Orange Juice. So it's going to be a uh, kind of a little bit of everything for everybody. Yeah, that's right, a little bit of everything. Um, 
All right, so like you said, let's jump into the Texas game, basketball game this past weekend. Um, Timetable-wise, for everybody, it is Monday today. Uh, so, dang it, dang it, dang it. Um, that game was pretty disappointing just because we should we should have won for sure. I think it's a lot this year because our expectations are so high uh, and our team is good, but then, you know, losing blowouts to Kentucky and then really looked like we're getting blown out by Texas, able to come back, but then losing this game was pretty, pretty heartbreaking, I would say. What's your what's your overall feel right now? And and by the way, for people watching on YouTube, I just had a camera change, so my angle was a little bit different. So it should be better now. But um, what yeah? What's your before I dive into this? What's your feel on on basketball? Like, if people don't know, like obviously we're both huge basketball fans. You actually were a student manager uh, for the basketball team back in the day while you were at UT, so you were around it. You were with those guys all the time. Um, you know what's your feeling on what's your feeling on this year's team? I had I had expectations going into it um, that that we could be a good team that you know maybe we could make a run like we had in the past, um, but it I just don't see it now. I mean I see it. We seem very much like a middle of the pack SEC team right now and. I I don't know if we just need some more time uh, just to like grow a little bit older. Like I love Chandler, but it does get to a point where I, I, I'm thinking like I, I don't I don't know if I completely agree with the way he plays. I feel like a lot of it is, you know, let me take the ball, let me do something with the ball. It's not thinking about, okay, how can I do something to set up someone else? Um, you know, he's just not a pass-first guy. And I know basketball is kind of headed towards that, uh, where it's a lot of, like, one-on-one -on -one stuff. But I hate that. Like, I hate, one I hate James Harden. Like, I hate Kyrie and the way that they play where it's just one-on-one. -on -one. So... Sometimes I feel like Kennedy like lean, leans into that too much, um, and then you know just disappointed with Fulkerson. Like you expect so much more out of the guy being a six-year senior. It's just like you can't you can't have the mistakes and just the weird play and and, and not being able to make a basket out of him. Yeah, so two years ago, I think I said this on a podcast earlier that we did, but I guess it was two years ago, you know, with Grant and uh, Admiral and um, Kyle Alexander, Jordan Bone, Jordan Bowden, all those guys. You know, we had our heartbreaking loss, uh, which you and I actually watched together uh, against Loyola and Sister Jean. And that was really our best opportunity to make it to a Final Four, like the easiest route. But then coming back that next year, I, I've said on this podcast before, like, I didn't miss a game. Like, I legitimately was excited to watch. Like, it was a random Tuesday night or, you know, Wednesday night or whenever they were playing. 
And I was legitimately excited, like I am for uh, for UT football games on Saturday. And then we had the heartbreaking loss to Purdue. And it really, that, that loss, like, really, really, really bothered me for a while. Just because you know that that was, like, our best team. You know, we'd beaten Gonzaga earlier in the year. Um, we had a great, you know, great run. We'd beaten Kentucky uh, in the uh, – NCAAs, which I still hate that we got absolutely blasted like we did against Auburn, but, you know, it is what it is. And the Auburn success is tough, man. It's tough because, for me, Bruce will always be my coach. I mean, that's who that's who I grew up watching. That's who changed the game for me. And so I'm happy for him. Um, but it just sucks. I mean, this, is, this, like, we could have literally had the exact same that Auburn has right now. Right, right. Number one, Bruce signed a lifetime contract. Like, that could have happened, but he bought some pizza for players. Like, how freaking ridiculous is that? No, it's the barbecue at his house. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just crazy. It just seems like, you know, I don't want to always keep saying, oh, poor us, Tennessee this, Tennessee that. I mean, we've, we've had some great – and we got really lucky. Listen, I'm not a Rick Barnes fan. Um, well, excuse me. I let me say that. Let me. I don't dislike Rick Barnes. I think he's a great, great, great guy. Uh, it seems like a great human, a great Christian, which I love and respect. So I don't dislike him, but it definitely left a poor taste in my mouth with like the whole UCLA thing. And Rick is who he is. And so when I got on here last year and I was mad about us giving him an extension, there was no reason to give him an extension. Like, he had just gotten bounced in the first round. Like, he still had plenty of years on his contract. Like, just leave it be. Just just let it be what it be. And my thing was, hopefully he goes one more year, and then we kind of just say thanks for everything, but we're going in a different direction and maybe get an up-and-comer who's a really good ball coach. You know, and it all, it is tough because Rick does bring in players. But for me, you know, to kind of tie it back into what I was saying is I was really about that team two years ago. And then last year I was still very much invested. And I was like, all right, well, we got two five-stars coming in with Jaden Springer and Keon Johnson. And then last year watching, I was just like, they were just so up and down. And I still remember I was – at the YMCA working out, watching the the uh, game on my phone of the uh, NCAA tournament. It was just so frustrated. And ever since then, I think that had just built up the frustration and like, yo, it doesn't even matter what we do in the in the regular season because like he's just gonna he's just gonna crap the bed in March. And so going into this year, you know, I was so focused on football, so excited for football, especially doing this pod, change that, and then basketball came around. And I think I watched, like, one game just to see Kennedy Chandler, and I was like, you know what? Like, I just don't have the interest that I usually do. And so I think time-wise, timing-wise, it's good because I've obviously watched the games. I just don't – my emotions aren't the same. So it's like, it's not that I haven't watched the games, but, like, I don't get super bummed out. You know, and, and, and I think you hit it perfectly on nail on the head. Like, this team is just a very middle-of-the-road SEC team. Like, they're going to win some games. They're going to lose some games – you know, probably going to win the ones they're supposed to win, really not win any of the ones they're under. Like, I don't see us touching Kentucky even at home. Usually I always feel good about playing, like, splitting with Kentucky even when they're much better. Like, this team just doesn't do it for me, meaning, like, I just don't I just don't see where we can hang our hats. Like, I actually do think Kenny Chandler is an incredible player. Like, he's actually worth the hype. 
Um, you know, like Josiah Jordan James, Robert Hubb, Scotty Hobson, those guys to me as five stars, like they, they didn't live up to what I expected them to be. And that's not their fault. I mean, I just hear that we're getting a five-star in basketball, so I'm expecting one and done and being a dog. But Kennedy Chandler, like, I know that people love Zachai Ziegler, and I do too, and and they say that they'd rather have him than Kennedy Chandler, and, and okay, that that's fine. Like, uh, Zachai Ziegler's going to be here for hell long, longer than Kennedy Chandler is. But the way Kennedy can get to the basket and the way that he get, creates his own shot and, and knocks down a mid-range – and all those things is unlike anything I've seen in my entire life at UT. Honestly, like I've not seen a player be able to do the things he does, getting to the rack so effortlessly, creating a shot so effortlessly, effort, excuse me, I can't talk this morning, um, so effortlessly. And so I, I do really love watching him play, and, 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 I'm, and I'm hopeful that when we get to the – uh, tournament, maybe we can get to at least to the Sweet 16 uh, because of our guard play and stuff. But it's just been really, it's just been a really like not interesting year this year, in my opinion. And to talk about the Texas game, I was like you, like we watched it and then we just started to kind of turn it off. And of course, for me, I turned it off and watched Impractical Jokers for like 30 seconds. And I had to go back and check. And right when I go back and check, we start our run. So like the team doesn't stop and they don't they don't quit, which I appreciate. Sometimes we just go extremely cold offensively. Our free throws continue to, to frustrate me, but like the end of the game, you know, I really thought we won it when when uh Santiago Vescovi, aka Vescovi, whatever you want to say, when he had that wide open three to put in the ball in the game was tied, I was like, he drilled it. And that's who I would want taking that shot. But he missed it, and um, Olivier Kumois had a chance to get the rebound, and he had it, and then he fumbled it. And that's where I really thought the game was over when, like, he had a chance to get a putback or to kick it back out, and he just, you know, he – Bro, I think he had a horrible game. He, he's, he's the one guy – he's the one guy that just – I he doesn't move the needle for me on this entire team. Like, at least Josiah Jordan-James, as hard as I am on him – on his offense, like, he's still a pretty good defensive player and he's a good leader, but, like, Olivier does nothing for me. Like, absolutely nothing. Like, I mean, it, it was the Kentucky game, I guess he – or whatever. I think it was Kentucky where he didn't have – he didn't have a stat. Like, he didn't get one rebound. It's like, what what are we doing? Like, I would rather see, you know, Huntley Hatfield get in there or or some of these other younger guys. And so, anyways – was, like, missing easy shots. He was – turning the ball over, like he could not handle the ball. Whenever it came close to him, either pass or rebound, he just uh, and let it go. I was like, bro, you got to get him off. Like, I, I am all for every guy. I think they're very talented, but sometimes it's just not dude's days. You need to get him off the court. Like sometimes they're, it's just they're in their own head. Something happened to them. They're just not – like it's not their day. He, that's fine. Just – Maybe next game will be your game, but not today. Get him off the court. Yeah, agreed, agreed. And and that's how it was for me. Like, I literally texted him the middle of the game. I'm like, what are we doing with him in the game? Like, it's it's brutal. Like, and no offense to him, he plays hard. But like you said, perfect, perfect way to put it. It's just not your day today, my guy. And so, um, anyways, to, to wrap the game, to finish talking about it, 
it's sad to say, like, I would have liked to win the game, but, like, I don't – I just don't care this year. Like, I was happy that we beat Florida. I was happy that we beat Vandy because I can't stand those teams. Um, you know, it would be nice to split with Kentucky, but I think Kentucky's at a whole nother level right now. Um, you I know, mean, all they did versus Kansas is very impressive. Very impressive. And I would love to beat Auburn, but that, that's probably not going to happen. And, um, and, and just to wrap it up, like – I thought it was a tic-tac call against against Triple J. Uh, the guy only hit one free throw. And my biggest, like, the play design was awesome. I mean, we did the hook and ladder type thing. We, we, got, we got down there. But my thing is I will always, always, always hate taking a three when you're down one. Now, granted, he was pretty wide open. But my biggest issues are, like, even Josiah Jordan-James had hit a couple threes that game. He's the fifth person I'm asking to take that shot. I want, I want Kennedy Chandler first. I would and, and I know Zakai Ziegler is the one that brought the ball down. So, you know, I'd still, you know, wish I could have had if both of them in the game, I'd get I'd rather have Kennedy Chandler take that shot, Zakai Ziegler take that shot, uh Santiago take that shot, um, Justin Powell take that shot, just because he's just a three ball shooter. He hasn't had a very good year. He's a guy that I've been kind of disappointed in because I expected a lot more from him. Um, you know, and I, I I mean, Victor Bailey hasn't played well at all, uh, really, this year, in my opinion. But, like, maybe even him over Josiah. Just like Jos – I mean, Josiah's just such a sketchy shooter. It's like – it's either a swish or it's like a – he doesn't catch a rim. It's like a brick off the side of the – you know, off the backboard. So, it was a very impressive last play call design. But I would rather have seen someone else take the shot or lastly, I would have rather seen Zakai just drive it in and try to get a bucket or get fouled and get to the line and hit your two free throws and, and, and move on. Yeah. So so I agree. You know, it's just it's just unfortunately, it just stinks because I love UT basketball. Like I, I really, really do. Like I've always been a huge basketball fan. And this year just like I watch it and I'm just kinda like this just doesn't move the needle for me, and I just will wait and see what we do in March. And it just stinks. It just stinks. I mean, it also might be because football is kind of on the up and up and doing well, and like we did better than we thought this year, than we thought it would happen this year. And last year, winning three games, everyone was dying for something good to cheer for. And I think that plays into it, too, where it's like, okay, football's over. Like, please, basketball, like, hold us up. And they did okay doing that and, you know, made it far in the SEC tournament and all that kind of stuff. So I think that's also something like when we get desperate with football, basketball's very important. But if football's a little bit better, sometimes basketball's pushed to the wayside. Uh, yes, agreed. And that was probably a good transition so we can start talking about football. But just to finish one more thing up, most of the time over the past five years, someone was like making the joke, when's basketball season start? But like I was talking to a buddy the other day and he was like, man, I just can't wait for – he's like, I can't – and he's a huge basketball guy, huge basketball guy. He loves basketball in general. He loves college basketball, um, loves UT basketball. But he was like, man, I just can't wait for Hypo's second year. Like – we're just so excited to, to see what he does. But um, anyways, yeah, the next thing I, we want to talk about is um, I want to talk about this Jason Jenkins that we just got committed. And, and and me, I thought he was another commit for 2023, but no, he's a commit for 2022. He signed in in a couple days. 
Um, my opinion is if we had done this podcast yesterday, the highlight tape I saw, and I'm not meaning anything bad by this, and the reason I watched his highlight tape, Tyler, is because I saw he was from Lawrenceville, New Jersey, which Ariel, my girlfriend, is from Lawrenceville, New Jersey, and um, or Bra excuse me, Branchburg, New Jersey, but she's that's right next to Lawrenceville. So it was kind of funny. It was like, hey, UT just got to commit from you know kind of your hometown area. And I went and watched the highlight tape yesterday, and it was – I hate being this mean. It was one of the worst things I'd ever seen, bro. I mean – Bro, it, it, I agree. It was one – it was honestly probably the – it was probably the worst highlight film I think I have I have watched in maybe my life. Um, the, the talent up there looked horrendous. I mean, I swear there was a guy on the offensive line that looked like he was like 215 pounds. Like, just looked like a string bean – the guy was slow off the ball. Like, he – there was nothing he did that impressed me. Um, like, he didn't seem fast off the ball. He stood up kind of high. He – Oh, he stood up every play, man. Yeah. Every single play stood straight up. Yeah, he got he got, he got got blocked pretty easily. I mean, if I had to be positive, like, he would hold the line of scrimmage decently well and make a tackle. But, like, we ain't looking for someone to hold the line and make a tackle. Like, we need someone to get back in the backfield. Now – that was yesterday, and I'm telling you, it was one of the worst highlight films I've ever, ever seen. I was like, I'm fine with taking a shot on a guy, but what the fuck are we doing wasting – like, we really wasting a scholarship on this guy? Like, I'd rather take a recruit uh, – I mean, a, a transfer or, like, give some walk-on who's been there a while a, a scholarship offer. Like, this guy ain't seen the field. And so my other thing I was going to come on here and say was I don't expect this guy to even see campus because I thought he was a 2023 guy. Bro, this guy is this guy's coming here and I'm like, what are we doing? So fast forward to today, and I did watch another highlight film and it looked much better. So the one I watched yesterday was the huddle from his Twitter account. Today I watched one on Rivals, and it was much better. Like like much, much better. He looked a little bit quicker. He still stood straight up, but he looked a little bit quicker off the ball. He does have some nasty and meanness to him. His hands were okay, but, like, I just don't – I will literally be shocked if this guy ever really helps Tennessee out unless it's, like, year three or four and he's, like, a rotation guy. And, and his scholarship offer list was BC, Pitt, and, like, West Virginia, and, like, I think that was it. So that's just not the level of football that, like, we're, we need to be recruiting against. I know Pitt beat us this year, but Pitt also had, like, one of their best years in – you know, in their in their probably their history of football. So yeah. I, I don't I don't know. I just it was a little bit of a head scratcher for me. I think this is. I mean, I think this is just like one of those guys. Like, oh, you have a lot of potential. Like that's just it's, sometimes that's how it is when you know maybe you don't have it, it being later in the recruiting cycle makes me like understand this move a little bit more being like okay well we don't have another d end that's three star or higher that we can get on the board he is one that we can get and rodney's like i know he's not perfect but he's 6'5 250 he's got a great body for it, great length um and and good big hands and he's like if i can just teach him to stay low and a few pass rush moves, I think I can use him. And I, that's where I'm seeing it. I don't see it as like, hey, I just got this guy for us that's gonna be the next Derek Barnett 
or the next Kurt Majet. Like that's not that's not what he's gonna be able to do, but hell. If he's 6'5", 250, say he, you know, stands up, he doesn't quite move a lot. Like you said, he can like hold the line of scrimmage, but that's not what a DN does. They put 40 pounds on him, make him 290 in a three technique. Like I don't, I don't have an issue with that at all. Um, because he has the frame for it, for sure, just to put on more weight if he wants to. So, I don't know. I agree with you with the highlight tape. It did not did not look good. I think he stands up a lot. Um, but I've said before, like guys in high school, they, they, they're never taught any kind of technique. They're never taught how to, where to put their feet, where to put their hands, how to do, like, a lot of coaches don't get into the nuances of, of how to play football, and it, it shows. Uh, so I think, I mean, in in Gardner we trust. That That's that's all I'll say. Like, I, I trust Rodney Gardner, and if the guy plays, guy plays great, sweet, yeah, awesome. If he doesn't play, okay, that's fine too. Well, guess what? There's a transfer portal. There's more recruits. Like, that's where sometimes, like, it, if – it's a three-star, and it's late in the cycle. I'm just kind of like, okay, we'll see what happens. I really want the five-stars and the four-stars and those guys that have a bunch of other offers. But once you get past those and you're down into the three-stars and the guys that, you know, then it's like, okay, we'll see what happens. I'm sure that's how some people felt about me. They're like, all right, we'll see what happens. But that's just, I don't know lay the land and me and Reed joke about it all the time because it's we have been on that side of it and seen guys come in that are very highly recruited they're supposed to be badasses and they suck and we've seen guys come in that no one even talked about and they're hard workers and they kill it so that's why recruiting to me and the transfer portal stuff I'm just like dude I can't trust any of this I cannot put my faith in any of this because I have no idea if it's going to work out. I've seen the Drew Richmonds. You know what I mean? I've seen uh, the Dylan Wisemans that come up from a three-star and actually do very well for us. So it's like I cannot trust anything that happens until you get on campus and I see you in a game, in practice. I, I just I can't necessarily trust it. Yeah, I yeah, I like I told you, I I watch film or I'll watch film and I'll check their offer list stuff and I kind of just say, all right, I you know I like how he plays or I don't like how he plays. Like his highlights impressive or it's not. Like that doesn't mean I think he's going to be a stud. I mean, obviously I got kind of excited about a couple of the guys when we did our recruiting um, video, but I was just hoping, you know, <sighs> listen whether he's a three-star or not, like I was just hoping to land somebody, which I did want to go ahead and land one more person before final signing day for the defensive line or linebacker or whatever. And we are going to talk about the other transfers and anybody else that we get uh, before, you know, after signing day, official signing day. And when I saw he was a three-star defensive end, I was like, all right, bet. And then I watched his film and that's where it really changed it for me. But I think you're right with that frame. Like, he might just end up playing inside later on down the road. And, you know, it is what it is. But that's another great point by you is I don't get worked up because if he's not any good, then he'll be gone in a year. 
you know, or two years, and we'll just use a scholarship to replace him with somebody else. So it's very, it's very much of a, uh, you know, manage, you know, manage the uh, roster year in and year out, NFL style. So sorry to interrupt, but we have another ad. Um, so this is coming up at the right time on the heels of a, a controversial retiring, not retiring of Tom Brady. We're talking about the GOAT right now. So he's not only the GOAT on the field, he's the GOAT when it comes to investing. So he's going to invest in crypto, stocks, and even art with Masterworks. Uh, Masterworks helps you just invest in, in art like Picasso, Monet, uh, Warhol. Uh, it, you buy shares that represent the investment of those classic pieces of art. Nowadays, you really see it with all the new age art and everything. It, it's bigger than ever. So this is the time to invest and Masterworks is the place to do it. So head on over to Masterworks and join 300,000 other investors, other members, and be like the GOAT, like Tom Brady, when it comes to investing. So head on over to masterworks.com slash believe. Again, that's masterworks.com slash B-L-E-A-V uh, and sign up today. For any disclaimers, or um, issues, go to masterworks.io slash disclaimer uh, for, for anything like that. But uh, yeah, go check it out and invest like the go. Yeah, I agree. So um, I'm excited though for National Signing Day. Obviously the first one is now the main one and the second one that like almost doesn't even count anymore. Uh, so, but I... Excited for that, get it done with, um, and be able to see our entire class and be like, okay, this is where we're going moving forward and not yeah. having to think about it anymore. So, And you know what else will be another, like, recruiting period will be after spring ball because there's going to be a lot of guys probably in their transfer portal after spring ball, whether it's guys leaving UT or guys from other schools that enter that we want to try to nab at. So it's always going to be a – that that that's pretty probably pretty much the last transfers that I see that could probably make an impact. I mean, maybe you get a Joe Milton type, which you can argue he made some sort of an impact, but that comes that late in the process, you know, like after like he's there for a fall camp. But um, well, I guess actually no, I guess that would be he left in the spring slash summer and then joined us for fall camp. So yeah, that yeah, so pretty much after spring ball will be the last little bit of grabbing someone that could potentially help you this upcoming season. Yeah. So I didn't even really, I mean, I didn't really think about that. that like maybe last year wasn't taken advantage of as much, but right after spring practice guys being like, I know where I'm at, I'm going to get the hell out of here and try and go play yeah. somewhere else. So, right. Right. That's a good point though. Um, okay. Let's transition in some duly talk. Uh, had a couple people ask on YouTube comments uh, some Dooley questions and what it was like playing for Dooley. Uh, I think this is something a lot of fans are interested in. Uh, and we'll do one on Butch also. It's just like they didn't see what it was like inside. They didn't, they didn't necessarily know, like, why did it fall apart? Why, why was it not? Why did it not work? Why, you know, why did we even get good recruits if he wasn't a good coach? That kind of thing. 
Um, so I feel like I can give a little insight into what it's like in a locker room like that. Uh, first off, I just want to express the fact that when you're on a team, any team setting, there is very much a buy-in to the team. Even though you might not be very good, even though you're not projected to be very good, even though you know that you don't have good coaches or good players, you know, as a player, if I don't buy in, there's no way we'll win. Like, if I don't believe that we can be good or believe that we're going in the right direction or believe in these coaches or my other teammates, there's no possible way that I'm going to win any game. Now, there are those times where you completely buy in and the coaches aren't good or your teammates aren't good and every other team is better than you but you still want to believe that you can win those games. That's the only way that you're going to do it. If you don't believe that you're going to win those games, you won't. You, you sincerely will not if you do not have buy-in to the team. So now being a fan and watching uh, from, you know, 30,000 feet, it's like, okay, I can see the writing on the wall before the players can. In a, in a certain sense, because you are so committed to that coaching staff and your other teammates and everything like that. You're like, yeah, w- like we're going to win. We believe that we'll win. Um, and it's very demoralizing when that is kind of taken away from you. Like, in, I mean, you can see it all over. I mean, even in the NFL, God, I mean, you think the Jaguars went into this season thinking they would be the worst team? No. They went in thinking that they could be good, that they can win some games, that they'll be all right, and it just falls apart. But you always go in thinking that, you know, you got this. So I think that's first off. Um, with Dooley, <laughs> uh, I think the issue, the main issue with him was – he didn't have any kind of balls behind him. And the reason I say that is because, like, when he came in, he wasn't a winning coach. He came from law tech. Like, the only experience, quote-unquote, that he had in the SEC was his dad being a coach. Like, just, like, watching his father – it just – well, I think he was assistant coach under uh, Nick, too. No, but, yeah. Um, he, he just – he wasn't right for the job. I think it was a very much um, our backs against the wall with Lane leaving. We have to hire somebody. Um, hey, let me, let me jump in here, too, and ask a couple questions. Kind of, and you don't have to answer them right now. You can kind of filter them in. But th- – and this is the most obvious statement anyone's ever heard, but like Dooley was just a horrendous hire. And the fact that, like you said, he didn't have a winning record, like, like major head scratch. Like, what are we doing? Like, how can he crush an interview to lead your program, to be the CEO of a multiple million dollar business when he hasn't proven that he can run a million dollar business at another place? It's just, 
it was the biggest head scratch in the world. Now I think you hit on something there that's like Lane's gone. We got to find something. And, and I do think that he was the complete opposite of Lane, which this whole culture fit and all that type stuff. Like, I think that can be so overblown and it's just like Dooley's a good Southern guy, SEC ties opposite of Kiffin. And yeah. so it was just it was just insane though that that the guy even got the job in the first place. Yeah, I mean, there's only so much you can do with the interview. Now Dooley is very personable. Like if you ever met him, he's very funny and personable. Like he has a law degree. Like he is the opposite of Lane Kiffin. And you know what I mean? Like it, it's so it's just kind of like bouncing the other way to try and avoid uh, him anymore. But like I said, it, guys on the team that, you know, maybe got there with Lane, um, mainly who I'm talking about is like Derek Rogers is a perfect example. He did whatever he wanted. Jansen Jackson did whatever he wanted when he was there. And it was like just – smoking weed all the time, I mean, failing drug tests, not going to class, not coming to workouts. And it was like, okay, are you, get, like, are you guys going to hold him accountable? Because as a younger guy who is just like someone who knows right from wrong and is a good person, I'm not going to bend those rules just because I know what's from right and wrong. I'm not going to try and do that. But anybody that's on the fence and sees how you react to somebody breaking the rules – and be like, okay, well, I can do whatever the hell I want to. And then, then there's no discipline on the team. And that's where it goes. That's where it starts, like, falling down and falling apart. And never is it quick. It, it's really not. It is over an extended period of time that these things fall. Um, so I think that that was one side of it. And then just, like, bonehead decisions of – like bringing in Sal Sinceri as a defensive coordinator, just like he wasn't, he's a great linebackers coach and that's it. Um, that's not. Well, it was, it was also the obsession of anything Nick Saban touches or is around. They, they, they think it has to be successful. How bad was Sal Sinceri in, in practice and stuff? Like, did, like, do you remember talking to the defensive players and they're just like, I have no idea what's going on or like, what was it like? Well, no, that's another thing where it's like you want to try and buy in. And, like, during the season, you're just, like, trying to, like, make the guys feel better. Be like, hey, like, you can do this. Just, like, get get a stop for us and we'll go score. Like, we can score whenever we want. That's 2012 when we really could. And it's just, like, get just get one stop for us. We can win this game. Um, so, like, you try and be positive, but then – end of the year comes Dooley gets fired and it's like yeah you guys sucked all year and then you go back and talk to some of those guys and you're like bro he he didn't know what he was doing we were running base almost every play and it was like nothing nothing was happening from him so yeah like like when you go back and actually talk to some of the guys and be like hey like what like what was it like they're like dude it was so bad he like um, Austin Boland, who is one of my good friends, lives here in Nashville. He's a trainer now. He uh, was on the team during that time. He went to Farragut. He uh, 
he played like running back. He was a fullback type, but he played like running back on scout team. And then when we played Florida, we were playing against Burton. He played quarterback uh, on scout team so that they it was like a running quarterback. He, he said he was torching him. At court, like never played quarterback before. He <laughs> he was like a running back in high school. He said that they were just popping off like read options for 20 yards against him on scout team. And he knew he was like, bro, this is bad. Like we're going to get our asses yeah. kicked. Yeah. So it's like you talk to guys back then. You're like, oh, shit. It's like it's guys just, are just it's getting wrecked in practice. First off, that's a great story uh, because I, I love Austin. Austin's a good guy, and he is a good athlete. Um, but the fact that he's popping off 20-yard read options is insane, and that's why I always remember – like, I knew very early on at, at, like, Memphis, and it was all because I was on scout team D um, playing safety. And we and we had some pretty good guys on scout team. Like, Memphis's biggest recruit in my class – was a three friend. He was a three star, but a friend's like almost four star. He's a linebacker from Memphis, and he had offers to Texas A&M, Bama, like all these different places. And he chose Memphis to stay at home, you know, to be a hometown kid because he went to White Station. So he's a good player, and we had him and a couple other type people, and we're on defense, absolutely shutting down what was supposed to be the starting offense for Memphis. And I'm sitting there like laughing. You know, I'm like, this is insane. And then we did a goal line period, and they had four downs to score from the two-yard line, and they ended up losing yards. We, we stopped them in the backfield. Like, I mean, and so so it was like you you can tell really quick, and we're not trying to be mean, but, like, as a scout team player, you're like, yo, like, we're trash. You know, like, we're, we're trash. And so yeah. – but, but, but my thing is, like, do you not – like, what was Sal teaching these guys? Because I, if, if I remember correctly as a fan, you heard that he was really complicated – and the players weren't picking it up, so therefore he just tried to had to like dumb it down, which makes sense why they were just playing base every time, and that also makes sense why it looked the exact same on TV, except for sometimes we'd bring Eric Gordon on like a little nickel blitz, and we just got thrashed. I mean, we got absolutely tattooed. Uh, yeah, I mean, there. Now listen, there are some guys that played that year on defense that are not the smartest individuals that can't quite pick up the things that they should be able to. But I don't, I don't think we really understood how bad it was as offensive players until like later in the season, because when we're playing in practice or going against each other, we know our offense is incredible. So it's almost like you hold it to a certain standard of being like, well, we can do this on anybody. Like, just because it's one versus one and we're killing them doesn't necessarily mean they're bad. Like, right, right. We're scoring tons and tons of points. But then when you get like in after the first game, the NC State game, like we're like, hell, we're good. We're a good damn team. Like, right. we just whooped up on NC State. Cordero is awesome. Our offense is very explosive. Like, our defense can hold their own. We're going to be good. Um, but then like you get to the Troy game. You get to the Missouri game, and it's like Troy has 800 yards of offense. We barely win by a couple, like, and it's both like in the 50s. We get to Missouri, we go to triple overtime, and they can't stop them once, and we end up losing the game. And it's just like those words, like, holy crap, like, this is bad. Um, 
And I, I mean, like Eric Gordon, for instance, because you brought him up, like not, not the sharpest tool in the shed. Sure, honestly, sure. right? Like right. that's just he just wasn't. So right. I think there is some truth to that where it's like, Hey, I can make this simpler for you guys. And I do believe in that in somewhat where it's like work around the players that you have on your team. Um, But I just, I mean, I don't think, I just don't think Sal is an offensive or a a coordinator. I just don't think he's a coordinator. Like he can be, I don't even know what he's, I don't even know what he's, I don't even know what he's doing now. I don't even know if he's coaching somewhere. Matter of fact, after this, I'm going to Google and see where he is. He's at he's at Alabama. Still? Mm-hmm. Just doing like outside linebackers. Yeah, just doing linebacker coaching. Huh? I did I didn't know that. Well, let me let me say this: How quick did you know? Dooley's, you're what was it? Dooley's, you were there his third year. I was there his second and third year. Yeah, how long was he there total? Three. Three total. Yeah. Now I remember talking to you about your recruitment visit with him, and you said that you liked him, like you thought he was, you know, good, personal, like pretty funny guy, like whatever. Obviously, you were probably going to go to UT, whether we were. I mean, he didn't have to sit there and be like, pitch you on the fact, like, hey, I'm a winner, I'm this, I'm that, like I know how to do it. He was more just trying to build a relationship with you, which there's multiple ways to recruit and multiple ways to skin a cat. Mm-hmm. But when, when did you know as a player? And the funny thing is, is like you are the biggest buy-in guy in the world. Like you are such a good guy, such a good buy-in guy. Like you're going to be the last one to like do something that's going to harm the team. But when did you really know? And you're like, yeah, this is this is this is over. Like he he's not the guy. Well, I'm trying to think of um, the events that happened. Um, because when we lost to Van, when we lost to Vanderbilt at Vanderbilt in 2012, I knew it was over. I knew he was getting fired. He wasn't going to be here anymore. But why is that? Just because like you can't lose to Vandy at home. You can't. You can't lose to Vandy at home. That made us bowl ineligible. Like we had to beat Vandy and Kentucky to be bowl yeah. eligible. That took us out of it. Um, it was not a good showing. Like multiple mistakes we got i mean we got beat it wasn't like close we got beat and there was a meeting before that game i'm pretty sure it was before that game because because i'm i'm pretty sure after that game very shortly after he was fired and we went into practice that week. I remember practicing that week with Coach Cheney being our head coach. Head coach, yeah. Quote, unquote. Uh, and going through practice and it being completely different uh, and not, you know, no one's going full. Everybody's chilling at practice and Coach Cheney understands that. And they're like, we're not necessarily playing for anything. But we still had pride in ourselves as players to go out there and win. Um, and we did win. We we whooped up on Kentucky. But there was a meeting, and I'm pretty sure it was before the Vandy game because he was fired immediately after. It wasn't like a long time after. Yeah. That he came in and 
was talking to us and like started tearing up and crying and being like, you know, uh, I love you guys so much and my family loves you. We love it here. And, uh, like giving off that vibe that he's already had the discussion, right. That he could be gone. Um, so I think like he had the writing on the wall before we did. And, you know, you could, you could, you could feel it when we were at Vandy and losing that game, everyone could feel that like, this is it. Like you could see it on coach Dooley's face. You could feel it on the sidelines. Everybody was like, yep. Like he, he's, he's not going to make it. Like he's not. Was there, was there, was there any players at all, at all that were like wanted him to have a chance to stay? And were there other players that were vocalizing like, thank God he's gone. Like he was ass, like whatever the case may be. Hmm. I don't, I don't think there was anybody who blatantly just came out and was like, yeah, he was awful. I'm so glad he's gone. Or came out and was like, he should stay. I think everybody was just like, Dan, this sucks. Like, it sucks to be a loser. Yeah. And that's what we were. We were losers at that point. All right. So you just felt you felt bad for him. Um you felt bad for all of our coaches because usually when the head coach gets fired, everybody else gets fired. Right. You just kind of like just felt bad for everybody. Like everybody's leaving. It's going to be a whole new coaching staff. You feel bad for the seniors that are leaving. It's just like it all sucks. It's all just very sad. And no one's necessarily saying like, yeah, he should have been fired because you don't, I mean, you don't want people to get fired. Like right. if you're a genuine right. human being, it's not like you want someone's life to be altered. So, right. and like I said, you're bought in like the entire time you're believing in this guy to put you where you want to go. Like you completely trust him and you go through adversity together and you like form a bond and you start to really like love the people around you. So, it, like, you're blind to their mistakes. And, and it's like it, – I mean, it's like being in a relationship with someone who takes advantage of you. And, like, you don't see it because you're in love with them. It's it's almost the same way where it's like, okay, I don't necessarily see all of their faults because I'm so bought he's in to, to what's going yeah. on. Did you Did you feel like he even knew football really much at all? Like, did, was there ever any time where he was, like, saying something that you thought was, oh, okay, I can really see that, like, whether offense – like, I don't even know – he was supposed to be an offensive guy, right? He's supposed to be an offensive guy, but no. That was yeah. my first, like, introduction to head coaches don't coach was yeah. Coach Dooley. And I still believe that. I still think that, like, you know, best coach of all time, Nick Saban, I believe that he goes out there and tells some DBs some different things or some defensive players some different techniques and stuff because he is very knowledgeable on defense and he always has been. But he is not stepping in his defensive coordinator's meeting and taking over the meeting. He is not going over plays with guys. He is not calling the defensive plays 
usually. He's letting his coaches do that. So head coaches don't coach that much. They don't coach X's and O's that much. They motivate. They inspire. They head in the right direction. They, I mean, like the CEO isn't giving you meetings. You know what I mean? Like a CEO of a company isn't in a bunch of meetings t- like telling you all of your goals and extra, like they're very, it's very much a broad stroke with a head coach, but Dooley was a guy who didn't coach anything. I think he coached one special teams, but that was it. And there was never a time where I felt like he said something in a meeting, especially offensively, he would be in our office of meetings where it's like, Oh, he just added to the meeting. No. If he said anything, it was, um, a scorpion and the frog story. It was be like McDonald's. It was <laughs> just some random shit like that. I mean, I think a lot of guys who have been in football for a while, I've heard the McDonald's story where it's, or the saying where it be like McDonald's when you go and order a number three in the United States, it's a, cheeseburger with da, da, da. you order a number three in China. It's the same damn thing. And he's like, be like McDonald's, always be consistent, always be the same. That might've worked in the nineties, but McDonald's is different every single country it's in. So it doesn't make any sense anymore. And it's also like, who gives a shit about McDonald's? Can we use another thing? We're not even supposed to be eating this trash. Can we use another analogy to express to be consistent? Um, and then there's Scorpion and the Frog. Uh, Dooley had quite a twist on it. Everybody knows the story of the frog and the scorpion being on the side of the creek. Scorpion needs to cross. Ask the frog. The frog says, no, you're a scorpion. I can't trust you. Um, he's like, but why would I sting you? I would die too. They go, scorpion sings them, they both die. And the frog's like, why'd you do that? And he's like, well, I'm a scorpion. And Dooley used it for like a gunner on punts to like make sure he got in the right place or something. It's like, bro, why are you even saying this story? Like it makes zero sense. So to sum that up, when Dooley talked, it wasn't very helpful in the meetings. I'll just I'll just say that um, it, it didn't didn't necessarily what was, fit I mean, what we were trying to get done. Okay, well, first off, I just have to say this: I do think Saban does a really good job of delegating, but I also think he has his very much hand in stuff and like maybe philosophies and how he wants people to coach. But and I definitely think that he still is like very involved like when you would see Lane Kiffin there like I would he would tell him like hey we're gonna run the ball here or do whatever so I I I just don't want people to think that like he just doesn't bring anything to the table like I know for a fact he does because like I said I know people that have played for him and I remember them telling me the story about you know when they lost uh, to Florida in the SEC championship game the next year like Saban spent all offseason looking on how to stop Tim Tebow and how to stop that offense so like he's very much involved but anyways that's just me just being like, hey, I don't want like false information getting out there. But I know what you're saying. Like, I, I get what you're saying. But anyways. yeah, which is why I, I'm sure that whenever he did study Tebow and like figure that out, it was individual meetings with him and the defensive coordinator or him Correct. and the defensive coaches. 
Correct. And then it once was, they got to meetings, he wasn't saying anything because right. that is an important thing for head coaches to do. Not undermine your assistant coaches. Exactly. Because right. how the hell am I going to believe in him? If I'm right. just listening to – if it's just Nick, 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 I can't believe in the coach that's with me more often than right. he is. Right, right. Agreed. Agreed. Um, was there – I mean, Dooley's – we've all known Dooley's have been a clown. And, like, because of how he ended up doing and what he was and, and the biggest joke. And it amazes me that people can end up in spots in life just somehow. Like, the fact that he was ever the head coach at the University of Tennessee is absolutely insane to me. But all it takes is one. It took one person to – you know, hire him, which I don't – obviously there's more people behind the scenes that have to sign off on that hire. But did he ever even say anything good pregame that, like, would get anybody fired? I mean, there was there, – I don't I don't feel like he brought anything to the table. Like, he, at least he's not a rah-rah guy either. No, definitely not. Um, honestly, I, I, like, it's weird, but, like – I never was inspired or or motivated or anything like that from a coach before a game. It was always from other players. It was always leaders on the team that motivated me. I don't know if that's just because, like, yeah, I did those sprints with you. Yeah, I lifted that weight with you. Yeah, I went through spring practice. I went through training camp with you. Like, we suffered way more than those coaches suffered, like, and I'm more connected to the players. So I think maybe that could have gone into it. But also, like, you're not necessarily – I don't know. It's like before games, like, I don't even remember coaches saying anything to me. I remember praying, and I remember doing the maxims. And those are the things I remember. I don't remember, like, the specific words they were saying because – I'm thinking about the game. I'm thinking about going to play. I'm thinking like in my own head, I need to be locked in. So, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Like I, I, I don't think he ever really said anything. And that was a, that was another thing that with Dooley, it, it was like, I remember even Pemberton, which was our coach in high school uh, my first two years, your first three years. And we won a lot of games. We won a state championship. Um, and we were a very good team. And, man, if we lost, like, I remember losing as a uh, – in JV, I think. I think we lost to Bearden and got our asses kicked. Like, it was, like, 26 to 6. He ripped the JV team, a new one, ripped us, was like, that's embarrassing. We never lose to them like that. I don't care if you're freaking JV. And after practice on Monday, we did up-downs. Um, and, like, he was holding us accountable and making it apparent that we don't lose. Now, on the flip side, that was a high school coach that – it's very good for high school. He he has very good resume as a high school coach, but he's still a high school coach. This is Dooley, and we lose. We get our asses kicked, and he comes in the locker room and is like, "Sorry, boys, that was uh, that was a tough one. Um, you know, we're gonna get in the film room. We're gonna regroup, and uh, we're gonna get better. You know, it's just stuff like that." 
And sometimes that's what you need to do. But then the next week, and everyone knows a story that played that time because it's so ridiculous. The next week, uh, our equipment guy, Hawk, comes up, you know, after a practice, we're all huddled around, like, listening. Dooley is – he's not yelling or anything like that. Hawk comes up and says, hey, guys, we just need to do a better job of throwing our wash rags in the buckets. So everybody has washcloths that you use in the shower, and there's a bucket. The equipment guys wash it for you. You throw it in the bucket. They take it, wash it, bring you out new ones the next day. People weren't throwing it in the bucket. So Hawk just says that and Dooley loses it, flies off the handle about some wash rags. And it's like, this is what you're mad about. Like we just got our asses kicked by Florida. You didn't say a word about that. And you're mad about wash rags. Like I understand like discipline and you see it on the low parts. Like, do you pick up trash? Do you open doors for people? Like, are you disciplined in a certain way? And then it trickles, you know, it trickles up to holding everybody accountable. But this was the wrong thing. This was the wrong time to express your emotions. So he gets so pissed about that. He's and he starts screaming. He's like, Jason, lock up the fucking Gatorade. I'm tired of all the bullshit. That's what he said. Every player. Every player from 2012, if you say lock up the fucking Gatorade, we'll start dying laughing because he got so pissed about the wash rags. We had a cooler that had Gatorades in it that we could drink. They literally wrapped chains around this cooler and put a lock on it so no one could have Gatorade for that week. And it's just like, bro, wh- what do you think this is going to accomplish? It's fucking Gatorade. Like, okay, I enjoy Gatorade, but I'll drink Gatorade at practice or water. Like, I don't, like, lock up the fucking Gatorade. I'm tired of all the bullshit. Maybe yeah, you should just- be tired of Sal Sincere giving up 45 fucking points to every team he faces. <laughs> Maybe you should be pissed off at your star wide receiver not going to a class like that's what you should be mad about not the the damn gatorades and the wash rags and it's just like he's mad but he's pointing it towards that and if that doesn't describe the dumpster fire that that was duly then i don't i don't know what what does yeah and it's like hey man like these guys should be drinking gatorade like this, this, this just like should help their performance. I get it. it's really sugary and it's maybe not as great as people think, but like it's still got electrolytes. Like it's still good for these guys to be putting it back in their system. And he's, it's almost like lock up their playbooks. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like lock something up that's like supposed to help them win. But yeah, it's just, uh, it's so funny to hear all these different stories and stuff because like it was so evident. But I'm happy you brought up Mark Pemberton because Mark was. So, I mean, he was such a great coach, in my opinion, because he built a winning culture. Like, yeah, like I remember being a freshman. And if we lost freshmen, like he was like, yo, like this is Knoxville Catholic. We don't lose to people and we definitely don't lose in that fashion. So it's like whenever we do, we're here to win. And it was like he held everyone accountable. And 
he, it was a winning culture. I mean, Catholic was a winning culture. We did everything the right way. Like we were disciplined, like we did everything we were supposed to do. And so you, you know me, like, I, I think that wins at all levels. And like, I get it. You have to be a little bit more different how you do it in college. And then you have to do be even more different how you do it in the NFL. Like the NFL, you almost have to draft guys that are like self-disciplined or like that want to play ball, that want to be great because you do have guys that are just, um, you know, that are just big issues on the team because they're me guys or they're whatever. And so it's, so in the NFL, like you can have a Vrabes that coaches or, or that used to play. So hopefully he can be a little bit harder on guys in certain ways, but he's probably more of not even hard on him. He's probably like, yo, you're a professional. Like, you know what you're supposed to do. And if you don't do it, like you just won't be here. So like, that's the way that they have to maybe be disciplined in the NFL, I guess. But, like, in college, like, you can still be – like, that's how Nick is. Like, Nick, Nick's that way. Like, he's like, this is what I expect of you. I want everything to be, like, you know, just hearing about all the stuff from Bama, like all the people that I knew that were down there, whether I knew some people that worked for him, people that played for him. Like, everything was about discipline. It, like, every little thing. Like, even the way that they, like, you know, would get – you know, how they dressed, like how they – organized stuff before workouts like everything had to be in order because everything was building towards that one culture like and so it's just so funny man that like Dooley was just he was as bad as advertised and you know what the amazing thing is Kyler is the guy still won some games and it was all because it's still the University of Tennessee the mm -hmm. University of Tennessee still has players like the University of Tennessee is still going to be better just because no matter how bad of a coach you are, like you can still recruit players to come play here because of the fan base, because of the history, because of like he had no business even winning games that he was probably winning, but we had an entire offensive line that had a chance in the NFL. We had receivers, you know, that played in the NFL. We had a quarterback who could sling it. You know, we had a tight end that played in the NFL. Like we had talent all over the field. And so it's just so funny. Like dude should have never won any games, but I got a funny story. It doesn't, it involves Dooley's time but it wasn't anything about Dooley really, but I was at Memphis. It was my freshman year at Memphis and we're about to go out on a, we're about to go play. And so we're at the stadium at the Liberty Bowl. Like we're there, we're doing warmups. Well, when we go out to do our, our pregame warmups, they had the Tennessee LSU game on the big screen in the, in, in the Liberty Bowl. Like they just had different games on for like people that were there and like they were still playing music. We're getting warmed up. So obviously as a Tennessee fan, like I'm watching this game and it's coming down to the wire. And it's when we had the 12 guys on the field and ended up losing the game. But I remember just totally true story. We finished warmups and we're going in to the locker room. And this was in 2010. So I like had like maybe a Blackberry phone, but like it wasn't great of like, you know, it wasn't as it is now. Like I can go in there and click ESPN and just see if we won, if Tennessee won the game. And I, I don't know if I've told the story on here or not, but anyway, so we go in there and, uh, you know, Memphis, everybody's getting ready to play. Everybody's getting serious. So listen to music. Coaches are talking. Everybody's getting – It's you know, it's a free – it's literally the locker room before a game. And I'm in the way back. And I go in there and I pick up the phone. Or a, my buddy Jack Gillespie's calling me. Like, he and I always talk here in all the games. And, like, I guess he just, like, didn't care or know that, like, I had a game at that time. And he's calling me. And I pick up. I'm like, bro, I can't talk right now. Like, I'm literally in the locker room. Like, literally, our head coach is starting to about to dress the team. If they stall me with this phone, like, I might get kicked off the team because they're like, what is this loser doing? And so, anyways, about the time he's like, dude, dude, you won't guess it. I'm like, all right, screw it. What happened? So, I'm literally in my locker like this with my little BlackBerry, and then I hear Milo 
who was our uh, head strength and conditioning coach, which I really liked him. But he, you know how they are. They're, he's a big old boy. He played offensive line at Tennessee. Tom Tom Milazowski, I think is how you say his last name. Is they call him Milo, but he played at UT. He was a very good player. He played in the NFL. So Milo's coming to like make sure everybody's drinking their stuff, getting ready. And I was like, hold on, Jack. And I put the phone down real quick. And then Milo walked by. I'm like, all right, all right, what happens? And that's how I found out how we lost the LSU uh, game because we had 12 people. Because I could hear Jack. He's like, we won. We won. We just beat LSU. And he's like, he got quiet for a second. He's like, oh, F, F. He's like, oh, my gosh. He's like, we had too many people on the field. And he's like, all right, they're going to replay it. And then they ended the score. So I'll always remember that. And that was always during that Dooley time. But, like, Dooley, man, he's just a clown. It's all that's all the way is to say it's like he's just a clown. Yeah, he's just a clown. Um and uh it's just like there's two so there's two prime examples of who Dooley was as a coach. One of them will be our big orange juice to end the podcast. So I'll start with the other one first. And it connects to it. But when we're in training camp leading into 2012. We had just gotten Cordero. And so we hadn't seen him during summer, anything like that. He comes right before camp. Camp is the first time we see him. We go to up to Science Hill. <laughs> we're, we're in camp up there, which is literally the – it was so bad. Um, so we're in camp up there, and we start doing like ones versus ones and Cordero gets in the lineup and just makes dudes look silly. Like, I mean, you see him in practice. It's, it's insane. Like just watching him juke guys out, watching him make them miss them fall down. Uh, just like making incredible catches over guys. Like, Holy crap. Like we did not expect a guy just to come in and do that. And it took a minute for him to show us that because he can't learn a playbook. Like, buddy just can't do it. It's just not a part of his repertoire. So we didn't see him the first week because he didn't know the plays and he didn't know how to run. Then I run the routes. He didn't know what routes to run, all that kind of stuff. So it took a week or two to see. And as soon, as soon as we saw that, Derek Rogers was off the team. He was kicked off the team as – like, I'm talking days after seeing what Cordell could do, Derek Rogers was off the team. And that is the ultimate, like, I'm not going to take responsibility for anything until I have something to replace him. And I'm not going to stand up for this. Like, he kept him on the team because Derek was such a good player – and then it was like, as soon as we saw CP do something, Coach Dilly was like, okay, now I can get rid of Derek. But it's like, dude, yeah. he's not a good guy. He's breaking all the rules. He's he's a cancer to the team because of the way you let him get away with things. He needed to be off the team way before that. Yeah. I, I remember hearing the story uh, from a guy, one of our buddies who was on the team as a time, at the time as a walk-on, but like Derek Rogers would like take his helmet off and just throw it down at practice and just start cussing coaches out. And then, like two days later, he's back at practice, yeah. you know. And they don't, and they don't see like he didn't get disciplined. He wasn't like running sprints or whatever. It's just like he just ran amok. And like, like I said, like, you know, 
it doesn't matter who you are. Like you have to hold people accountable because if other players don't see it, that you're holding your best players or most talented players accountable, the whole, the whole ship crumbles. Like it's just a joke. And so, and, and to say this about CP, CP still can't learn a playbook, my guy. Like the fact that like the people in the NFL see him, like he got drafted as a wide receiver and he's had his best year this year because Arthur Smith just gets him the ball in different ways. Like CP just still doesn't pick up playbooks. Like they just have to hand him the ball sometimes. Like, so that's why he was a first-round draft pick, and until this year, he probably would have been considered a bust. Like, he probably still is considered a bust. Like, he's a good player, but, like, dude just – I don't know if it's a lack of wanting to – if it's a lack of, you know, trying, or, like, he literally just has a learning disability and, like, can't put two and two together. I'm not trying to make fun of him, but, like, yeah, he just – like, he, he still can't learn a playbook. I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily consider him a bust because he was a late first-round pick, and he's a wide receiver – like if it's like a I mean, if it's like a like, more important but, but position like is, an offensive lineman or a quarterback, I think theirs is a little bit different. But if he has a wide receiver and it's like he scored touchdowns for us on returns, um, he got some random yards for us as a wide receiver in some instances or as a running back in some instances. Like that's okay. Like he's definitely done better than like other running backs I've seen. Like like Trent Richardson. Like I would say he's not like Trent Richardson's a bust, not not CP. No, CP still, in my opinion, in that he's when you draft someone in the first round, they're supposed to be an absolute game changer for you. And like he got cut by the Minnesota Vikings after a few years, but like at the Minnesota Vikings, he was all he was was a kick returner, really. Like he wasn't even playing really receiver for him, but I get it. Like he's not a total bust. Like he's still in the league, he's still making money, like he's still making plays. But when you draft someone first round like that, like they're supposed to be an absolute dog. And like, you know, yeah. So, yeah. But anyway, so, so, so what's, What's the Big Orange Juice? So, Big Orange Juice is connected with Derek. Um, and I told this story way back, but we only have Great like story. 50 followers. So, you guys will enjoy this. But this is the summer before the 2012 season. So, this is just another example why nothing was happening to guys not following the rules. There's a break in the middle of the summer for a week where you – get to just be off. Uh, it's in between two summer classes that, you know, maybe if you want to go home and see your family, you can do that. So a lot of guys would, and then come back, and then we'd start back up again. we start workouts again. we you know, do all that stuff. So we all get back. We all start workouts. Um, we realize Derek's not here. He's just not there. He's not on campus. He's not in class. He's not at workouts and we're like, what the hell's going on? Then midway through the week, he posts a picture on his Facebook or Twitter, whatever was popular back then, that he's on the beach, he's on vacation. So it's just like, dude, you know that this is the week that we have. It's not the week after, it's not the week before, you know, this is the week. And it's like, I did the, like, he did it on purpose so that he would have two weeks off. You know that he did. So he comes back and it's Monday the following week. Um, and you know, everybody's pissed. Cause it's like Derek gets away with everything. He fails drug tests. He's still on the team. He doesn't go to class. He's still on the team. He does this. He's still on the freaking team. He does. He gets away with whatever he wants. And our strength conditioning coach, Coach McKeefrey, was tired of it too because Derek would never try at workouts. He had horrible work ethic when it comes 
when it came to things that he didn't think was important, he wouldn't try. And that's just a horrible, horrible way to view stuff. So it's Monday before, before we get into our workout. Uh, Coach Rakeefer brings up the entire team, has Derek come to the middle and says, listen, this guy wasn't here last week and I am not the one to say anything or hold him accountable. So I think that's up to you guys and I'm going to leave it at that and walked away. And, uh, did Derek not say anything right then and there, like start like cussing his coach or whatever? Like, he did, did he say anything back to that? No, he didn't say anything to Coach McKeefrey. Yeah, okay. Um, I think possibly because Malik Jackson stepped up right after Coach Mack left. Yeah. But Malik Jackson, our defensive, our defensive lineman who's still in the NFL, he's been killing it. He's got a Super Bowl ring. He's got a touchdown in the Super Bowl, for goodness sakes. Um steps up and gets right up in Derek's face and just starts saying, like, you better apologize right now to this entire team for that bullshit. You can't be doing that. And uh, <laughs> if anybody knows when a fight's about to happen, it's when someone puts their hands together. Um, so Malik starts, listen, listen. Listen, like if you're on YouTube, you can see I got my hands in like a praying symbol. He's clapping his hands together. Listen, you need to apologize right now. This is bullshit. You can't be doing this. They're like, I will smack the fuck out of you. That's what he tells him. He's like, I will smack the fuck out of you unless you apologize right now to this entire team because you're selfish as shit. And don't think I won't smack the shit out of you. And Derek's like, I'm not, I'm not apologizing for shit. I can do whatever I want. You know, just overall, like, I'll do, you know, I'll do what I want. I can get away with anything. I'm a baller. No one's going to touch me. And, uh, yeah, that went on for like 30 seconds total. And Malik was like, bring that hand back and just smack the shit out of it right across the face. Didn't close fist punch a smack and it was in the indoor facility and you literally hear it echo throughout the facility just like echo throughout the facility and immediately everybody jumps in and starts like trying to break it up as they continue trying to like swing at each other but i don't i think there might have been like one person that uh that supported directly like was his friend and his smoking buddy as a wide like another wide receiver that was like hey get off my dog but everybody else was like thank god he smacked the shit out of him because someone had to do it um and there are times that i've heard stories of of past tennessee teams where it's like if you stepped out of line big john henderson would beat your ass if you stepped out of line, this offensive lineman would beat your ass. Like it was like, you don't step out of line back then because you would actually get your ass beat. And it reminded me of that, where it's like, that was the one time when I was there where I saw somebody literally like, I'm going to beat your ass because you did the wrong thing. And another one that we've told before is a croon story, but 
sometimes you need that on a team full of, and listen, I understand in today's society, two players to fight because one player isn't up to the standard of what's going on. I, I don't, I don't have an issue with they're on the same level. They're a part of the same team. They're brothers in arms. You would not get mad at two brothers fighting at home. You would not get mad at an older brother beating up on a younger brother that's maybe two years younger than him because he called his mom a bitch. No one's getting mad at that. Everyone agrees with the older brother. It's like, yeah, beat up your little brother, tell him he's an asshole, and he doesn't talk to your mom that way. Now, when a wide receiver says F you to every coach and doesn't go to do anything that he does, doesn't – like your little brother doesn't do his chores and calls your mom's a bitch. This guy doesn't go to class and tells a coach to F off. It's the same thing. Like your brothers, in no way are you anything else. It's not, you know, a hierarchy or anything like that. You're brothers with these guys. So I don't have an issue with fighting if it's for the right thing. Um, but that was something that like no one really knows about. No one knew about because it was in the summer too. So that was like less of a news story. But it was an instance where, like, here was a legit fight pretty much set up by our strength conditioning coach. And Malik Jackson stepping up to the plate and being like, you are not a good person for doing this. And then, you know, a month and a half later, CP gets there and Derek's gone. So it was uh, it was a prime example of how, like, none of the coaches were going to do anything to try and hold this team to a standard, it had to be a well, player. It sounded like at least one coach knew what, what had to be done since Dooley wouldn't do it. You know? Yeah, yeah. But, coach McKeefrey, uh, I don't think he's hated anyone in his life more than Derek Rogers. Like, because, like, that guy, he probably sees the potential in, in Derek. Like, he knows how good he could be, but the guy just had massive, massive attitude problems and issues, and that's why – you know, hell, he even still did get a, a chance in the NFL, but that's why he didn't amount to anything. Like, he had some of the best God-given talent, and, you know, he's lucky that he even got some of the publicity that he did. And that's just because he was lucky to be around a coach that was trying to make it at UT and is just not a big disciplinary and just not a good football coach. So he got he got lucky. Yeah, I mean, it's so. all the other stuff. Like, there are guys that are like, I – go balls to the wall on Saturdays and Sundays and at practice. And it's like, that's all fine and well, like great. You practice hard, but better is all the little stuff. It's the right. weight room. It's getting stronger. It's getting faster. It's eating right. It's sleeping right. It's studying the playbook. Like all that other stuff is what makes a difference. Okay. Really appreciate you guys uh, listening and watching. Hopefully you enjoyed that big orange juice and some stories about Dooley. Uh, like I said, thank you so much. Uh, you guys really just help keep this podcast going and, um, great fans. So if you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe, like, turn on that notification bell, uh, make some friends in the comments section. Uh, please leave comments, ask questions. I love answering them. Uh, so does Reed. So please do that. Uh, if you're on, if you're watching on podcast or listening on podcast platforms, Please rate, review, um, you know, download, re-download. It all helps with the numbers. 
and tell everybody about us. Tell your friends, tell your family that you can get great stories, great insight about Tennessee football and Tennessee sports in general uh, from Believe in Tennessee Football. So um, if you want to follow us on social media, I'm at Kyler Kerbison, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at rbacon26 for read, um, and at Believe in Tennessee on Twitter. Uh, for our main account, if you want to contact us, uh, believe in Tennessee football at gmail.com. Also, phone number 865 322 9232. So, reach out to us that way. Let us know if you have any topics or anything you want us to discuss. Uh, and as always, good balls. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.